Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers, and welcome back to Historical Fiction Unpacked. This is episode 15 of season four. Today, I'm going to be sharing a conversation I had with Milri Latimer. She is a Canadian expat from Ontario living in Central Oregon currently. It's interesting, this week we're talking to two different authors who both have books dealing with PTSD. Milry's novel focuses on World War I instead of World War II, and several of her characters deal with PTSD as a result. I found Milry's story to be such an interesting one, not just the book that she wrote, but also her life, which we get into later in the episode, and she talks about um, why she chose to go with Luminare Press, which is a hybrid press. Um, So we explain more of that later on in the episode. So this is a little bit of a longer episode, but it's definitely worth the listen. And I hope you enjoy it. Before we get started, I do want to remind you to help out the podcast in the following ways. First of all, subscribe or follow the show on your favorite listening app. And then rate and review it if you can. That would be fantastic. You can also join the Facebook group, Historical Fiction Unpacked Podcast Group. You can get there from the show notes or just look us up on Facebook. And we also have an Instagram account. And of course, if you want to support the show with your finances, that would be most welcome through our Patreon account at patreon.com slash Allison Treat. Just remember that Allison has one L or you won't find me. It's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T. Now let's get to my conversation with Milry. I hope you enjoy it. Milry, I'm so glad you could join me on the show today. Well, thank you, Allison. This is this is an exciting opportunity for me, and I so appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, your latest novel, Out of Place, released in February of 2021. So you've had a lot of wonderful feedback from readers. Can you tell me about this book? I would be happy to tell you about this book. It's um I'll start with where where the inspiration came from. The inspiration actually came from my late father-in-law who was a home child in Ireland. Oh. Do you need me to explain a little more about home children? Because well, maybe for for our listeners, yes. All right. Home children from Ireland, and some of them came from Britain as well. Home children were children who were in orphanages, or some of them were on the street. And this would be in the late 1800s. And there was a contract set up between Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Commonwealth countries with the British, with the British government and with Ireland at that time, that these children would be sent to the, uh, to the Commonwealth countries to work on farms. There were Mm. no relatives to send them to. And I'm going to stop there for a moment because that piece, there were no relative to send them to, was something right away that I had to work through because Mm. my character, Martha McGrath, became my father-in-law, my late father-in-law. He came when he was seven years old, on the SS Dominion in 1907. And he was sent to a farm. He left from Liverpool. Actually, he left from Dublin, Liverpool, landed in Quebec. What I did was I gave Martha McGrath, my character, that journey. Mm. 
She, her mother had died. Her father, we never really knew who her father was, but her mother had died, and she was 15 years old and went to live in an orphanage. Actually, she was 13 when she went to live in the orphanage, and she became a favorite of the woman who ran the orphanage. And this this would happen sometimes. However, mm-hmm. unfortunately, the woman who ran the orphanage, and I researched all this, Allison, I researched the orphanages in Dublin at the time, and this would happen. The woman who ran the orphanage, who was a good woman, died. So here was Martha McGrath, once again, without of place, without a place. Oh. She she said to the people, other people, the administrators actually, who, who wanted to close the orphanage down, she said she could look after it. She was capable, and she probably was capable, but they said, no, you're just a young girl. We're going to send you to Canada. However, unlike my late father-in-law, who was a home child and sent from Dublin to Liverpool to Quebec to Ontario, where he was, went to live on a farm, and eventually those people, I believe it's true that they they basically adopted him. That didn't happen all the time, but they basically, mm-hmm. but unlike him, I then had to do a right turn. Because in the process of my research, I contacted the British Home Children Society, told them my story, and told them, though, that in Martha's things when she came to the orphanage, there was a letter from her mother that her mother wrote to tell the people in the orphanage that if ever my girl needs to go, to, to leave, please send her to Canada. I have a sister in Canada. When mm. I told this story to the, to, the, to the representative, well, actually the president of the British Home Children's Society in Canada, when I mm-hmm. told her this story, she she said no that wouldn't happen these oh. children didn't have any relations any relatives at all anywhere they were sent to farms where they didn't know anyway so that wouldn't happen so i had my first allison i had my first shall we say historical fiction decision moral decision to make <laughs> right do i do i change the way it happened or do i change my story mm-hmm. and because i'm a bit of a historian and a bit of a history buff, I decided to change my story a bit. So Mm. this is what happened. They found in among her things this letter from her mother, which said she had a sister in in Ontario. And if Martha was going to be sent there, please could they send her to her sister? Actually, that was a very well, like a lot of things that happened, Allison, that was a very serendipitous move because the character Emily who is Martha's mother's sister and Martha's aunt, mm-hmm. for reasons that are unveiled in the story eventually, had left on very bad terms with her sister. Oh. Yes. And so when she is sent, she is sent to her sister, who is now married to Professor Owen Johnson, who's a professor at Queen's University, in mathematics, I researched all this, and his daughter, Anna, who's five years older, the two of them take her in as family. Mm-hmm. Emily, her aunt, the very one who was related to her, hates her, but we won't know why. 
And that's at, um, an important part of the story, because here we have a young girl who thinks she's finally found, quote unquote, place, and she hasn't. She has found people. She has found Professor Johnson, and she has found Anna, but she hasn't found place yet. Okay. I'm wondering, so you said you changed the story, but she still had a relative? It was just not revealed until later? Yes. Is that? She still has a, re- she has a relative, and it's revealed up front. And that's where the letter from her mother is important. Because the people who are taking the children, the home children, who are sailing with them, actually, Miss Ashworth, who is who the administrator sailing with them, makes the decision to take Martha with her and with those children and contacts, she's a good woman, and contacts Professor Johnson and Anna Johnson that they have a niece, he has a niece or a step-niece, and she has a step-cousin on mm-hmm. her way. So I was able to to shift the story so that having relatives be actually, as I say, became an important part of the story because one of those relatives hated her. So mm. she was going into a very uncomfortable situation. So she wasn't a home child. And actually, there are parts near the beginning where she, where she is sailing with these children and she becomes very attached to them. So there's a very, if I may say, there's a very poignant part where she, at the docks in Louise Basin, which was the basin, um, a dock in Quebec at the time, mm. there's a part there where she has to let, where she has to leave these children because Anna Johnson, her cousin, has come to meet her at, at the, uh, at the docks and is going with her on the train back to Kingston, Ontario. So it's a very poignant part. And for me, it satisfied that need that I, that I wanted to have to show how those children, those home children, were there with their suitcases, and on the suitcase might be Toronto or Hamilton or Vancouver, because that's where they were being sent. And I won't go into too much detail about home children now, but it's a very poignant story. As a matter of fact, it's very much the same kind of story as here in Oregon, the orphan train. Yes. So... She wasn't a home child, but she lived in the home. Yeah, she lived in an orphanage for two years. Her mother died. She was sent to an orphanage. And then from the orphanage, she sailed over to Canada with home children. Okay. Because she was going to a relative, to her aunt, she wasn't a quote-unquote home child. So that's actually, that satisfied the British Home Children's Society. And it satisfied me. Right. Yes. Okay. So at the beginning, at the beginning, I didn't have the title Out of Place. But as I wrote, I was thinking about the whole concept of place. And I was thinking about my late father-in-law, who was father of my late husband at the time. And I was Mm. thinking about how he landed a seven-year-old boy with all these other children. And so Mm -hmm. I wanted to somehow create that sense, that sense of place, or shall we say, out of place for these children, and therefore for Martha. And that whole idea of out of place then became a sense throughout the story, because then Anna 
who is Martha's step cousin, whom she goes to, with whom she goes to live, with Anna's father, the professor, and now Anna's stepmother, Emily. When she goes to live there, Anna becomes her protector. Anna okay. becomes her friend. Anna's five years older, and Martha believes that she is fine, even though Emily is actually quite mean to her, even though she doesn't have a place with someone she really should, who is her mother's sister, she believes she has found place. But it turns out that Anna's not there for all, forever, because it's 1914. And in 1914, in the Commonwealth, in Canada, Britain, the First World War broke out. Mm -hmm. Anna Anna's a nurse, and Anna goes over to France. And Martha is once again left with this sense of no place, no one. And it was at that point, Allison, and I really couldn't have told you this as I was writing the story, that I realized Anna was probably one of the most important, if not one of the important characters beside Martha, because Anna's is also looking for place, except hers is in the context of a war. So you told me the inspiration and the basic trajectory of the novel. So mm -hmm. um, now, and you mentioned to me ahead of time that you feel that person-to-person -person research is very important. So can you explain why? Thank you for asking, because that is that is one of the main points right now. Because Anna goes to France to be a nurse in World War I or First World War. And I knew some, I knew a bit, and of course I read and I looked on on internet and I read voraciously about that war. And I had a book called Sister Soldiers of the Great War by Cynthia Tolman. Cynthia Tolman is a, pro, is a professor of nursing, or is retired now, professor of nursing at the University of Ottawa. And she wrote this book, which is a wonderful book, by the way, about sister. they call them sisters. They call the nurses sisters, sister mm -hmm. soldiers. And as I'm reading it, Alice, and I'm thinking, I want to talk to this lady. I want to talk to, to this author. Because I wanted to make and I'll tell you, tell you more in a minute. I wanted to make Anna's experience as a nurse at the front in First World War in France, I wanted to make it real. I wanted to make it not just in a factual way, but in a sensory way. In a, mm -hmm. You could smell it, you could feel it, you could see it. So I thought, what better way to, to get more of that information, that, that true from and even secondary truths, then contact, contact Cynthia Toman. Hmm. It took me a couple of days. I'm not as hesitant now to do that kind of thing, working on the novel I'm working on now. But, so I emailed her. I emailed mm -hmm. her. I gave her just basically what I almost gave to you, Alison. I gave her the outline of the story. But very importantly, I gave her who Anna is and was. And why it was important for me to create cr to create Anna so the reader would would feel her, see her, know her, 
as this sister sister soldier. Mm-hmm. So it was a pretty long email. <laughs> and then I hit send and I thought, well, let's see what happens. That afternoon, that afternoon, Allison, I got an email back from her. I'm smiling because I remember the moment and I and she said, Your story sounds very intriguing. Uh. I have some questions. Of course I do. I have some questions. But she said, please send me your questions and I will be, I will be sure to, if I can, answer them or send you in a direction where you can answer them. From that email on, oh, and that's, and by the way, she said, and I think we should talk on the phone too. Oh, I, I was practically dancing. I mean, <laughs> I was, and I'm a relatively, that was my second, that was my second novel, my, my third book. My first book was a memoir. So mm. I, I, I felt as if I was, I was still in that, that aura of look what just happened. But I don't think even if I ever get to the point that I write my ninth novel, I don't think I would, I would, I would be, I think I'd still be excited about that. Yeah. Anyway, so. I we we talked on the phone and I had a whole list of questions and f- and I started to say from that moment on Allison she was she was there so I would write a scene I would write a mm-hmm. scene Anna uh, unfortunately went into a kind of what they called during that war actually they they first called it neurasthenia then they called it shell shock and unfortunately Unfortunately, when it was women who went into sh- nurses who went into shell shock, some of the doctors at the beginning called it nerves. And oh. So yes, but she went part after being there. I would say two, almost three years. She was there 1916, end of nineteen sixteen, nineteen seventeen. She went into what, what would be called shell shock. And that was a really important part of the of the story too, because what it was was Anna herself wondering about this war, wondering about placing herself in this war, why she was there in this war. And it and it and it seemed to come together with the whole idea of once again out of place. So I would write a scene. Anna at etap, E-T-A-P-L-E-S, which was a, uh, where there was a, a Canadian, what they called casualty centers. And the mm-hmm. casualty centers, Allison, were basically right on, not too far from the front. So she spent right. a lot of the war at the front, except when, when, when she went into shell shock and she got sent back to, um, Orpington, which was a British, British hospital. So I would send her scenes from there. I would send her scenes from because it was it was bombed, and a couple of nurses actually, in, according to the research, were killed, and Anna wasn't. Anna had worked that night that this bombing had happened, and so therefore she wasn't in her bed. If she'd been in her bed, she would because they bombed the um, the nurses the nurses' huts. Oh, so I sent goodness. these scenes, these scenes to Dr. Toman. And she sent back and she said, 
This is how it would have happened. This is, this is very close to the truth of how it would happen. And she said, remember, she said, she said, remember, Mori, she said, I'm a historian, mm-hmm. but you're writing a story, historical fiction. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take it maybe a little bit farther. So that gave me that I said, all right, I can do that. So I expanded the story even more once again with knowing, with the knowledge that because of Dr. Toman, I had it in the context of truth, and that was really important to me. And right. she actually helped me too with Martha's, with Martha's character, who left, who left Dr. Johnson and um, Professor Johnson and Emily's home to go to a farm in the north of the county, northern Frontenac. And this is where another person entered, another research person entered. Okay. This person happened to be my nephew. My nephew is, my nephew is in his fifties and lives in Kingston, has lived in Kingston most of his life. Mm-hmm. And he worked with a TV station there. And I went, I think probably 2019, maybe I went to Kingston, Ontario to see my niece, his sister. And I said, I have some scenes of a farm in, uh, North, North Frontenac County which is where Kingston is. I want to go and see those. I want to go and see that farm. And I have a house where the Johnsons live in Kingston. I want to go see that house. She said, you should go talk to my brother. So we called Phil and he said, well, it happens to be I'm off today. So he came to get me in his pickup truck and we drove two hours north to find the farm where Martha lived in, Mm -hmm. in fiction. And we found the house on King Street where the Johnsons lived. So for the rest of the story, I had those images in my head as I wrote. And Martha became what they called a farmerette. Farmerettes were mostly young women. Some of them were out of university who, who went to work on farms during the war and actually grew food for the troops and worked on the farms. And it's here that Martha's life expands because there happens mm. to be a son who lives who is one of the farmers who eventually who whom she eventually marries and there's and then there's a link because he goes to World War 1 he goes to France and he comes back broken mm. and there's a link now i don't want to go to i don't want too much into it but there's a link between yeah. Anna and Charlie now because Anna is going to be all right. But she has had this experience, Allison, of finding out that place is not necessarily a place. She has discovered that place is within you. And she, when she comes back, 1918, when she comes back and everyone meets her, Charlie's not, not good. She is the one that brings Charlie back to life. She is the one who helps Charlie find his way from this broken part of himself. And Martha, Martha is there for both of them. And I have to tell you this, I think it's almost kind of, because I read the book, every time I'm going to do a reading, I read it again. And when Mm -hmm. I was, when I knew I was going to do this podcast, I read it again. And it's so interesting. Yes, you would think 
I, in these particular parts, I can still see them. I can still hear them. And I feel as if I'm part of, I'm, I just do. I feel as if I, I'm part of their, their, their way of finding place. Mm -hmm. I have to go back to the title. Yes. When I started writing this, the title was With Every Goodbye We Learn, which is the last line of a poem. And I went with that. Mm-hmm. And when I talked to uh, Patricia Marshall, who's the who's the Luminari Press, I, when I talked to her about that, she said, yeah, you may want to shorten that. So I started thinking about it. And here's, once again, serendipity. I went to hear Barry Lopez at the time speak. And he was talking about how sometimes, at that time, how sometimes people will come up to him and speak and talk to him as if they know him. Mm. And that does happen. And because the because we do we read we and we we think yes. we we know that person, and so this would happen to him two or three this happened to him two or three times, and he, and he finally said, you know, I just decided what it was was that person was right. I was the one who was out of place. And I remember hmm. turning to my friend while we were listening, and she her eyes just went big, and I looked at her and I said, there it is. That's what this story is about. And I changed the title to Out of Place. That was that was when I was almost finished the book. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Sometimes it takes a long time to figure out what the right title for a book is. And that's a great it title, is. Out of Place. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I want to shift a little bit from the book to your career, because I understand you had quite a career in education mm-hmm. before becoming a published author. Yes. So, um, Tell me about how you went from education to your new career as an author. All right. In my career as a teacher, principal, professor, I wrote, but I wrote scholarly articles. Mm-hmm. I wrote journals. Uh, all my life, all my life, I've wanted to put words on a, on a page, but, but never considered that I might even attempt to be an author. And so when I uh, retired, I was, when I retired from public education as a principal and as a teacher, I went to work at uh, a university, first York University, which is in Toronto, and then Brock, which is in St. Catharines. All this is Ontario. All this is in Canada. Yes. And I'm still writing, but with, with no vision of what this might mean down the road. And then, and then the unusual and the unexpected happened. I had, uh, I'd lost my husband and mm-hmm. I was, um, on my own and, uh, and fine. I was, I was gathering myself, gathering the experiences of grief and writing about that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I have to back up a bit. My husband and I went on a cruise. Another couple sat with us on that cruise at supper time. And the man, whose name was Jerry Bass, and my my late husband, Doug, connected in, in such a way that they promised that we were all going to get together, you know, forever and after. Unfortunately, yes. within the within the year after that cruise, within that oh well, actually, I'm sorry, we came out here to Oregon. And then shortly after that, uh, Doug died. Mm. 
And oh. so I, and so I was on my own. And the two of them had been in contact. So back and forth. And, and so I continued in, in a, in a way to email back and forth, as did, as did Jerry. And then one Christmas, he sent me an email just signed by him. And unfortunately, he and his, his he and his wife had separated and divorced. Um. And I sent him consolations. There was a, a whole story. There's a whole story. <laughs> and, then, and then two years later, and I'm my I'm grounded again. I'm in a different world. Um, I'm writing a memoir about Doug, about me, but mostly about mostly about Doug. And mm-hmm. I'm writing a memoir. And I have to say, once again, I have been so fortunate all through what has started, which has started out and has become my career. I've been so fortunate to have people at my shoulder. And there was a um, an author, a Canadian author, well-known Canadian author, Lawrence Hill. Mm. And he uh, turned out to live around the corner from me at the time. And I had introduced his book because I was doing book launches for a bookstore in town. All these pieces, all these pieces, Allison, all came together. I was Mm. doing a a launch of his book. And I asked him at the time, because I'd started the memoir, if he ever coached writers, wannabe writers. And he said, well, I coach writers, but... If you're a wannabe, probably not. I said, okay, let me rephrase the question. Do you coach writers? And he said, yes, I do. (laughs) And and he coached me. He and his wife, actually, who's also a writer, coached me all the way through that memoir. And I knew when I finished that memoir that that's what I wanted to do. Well, the story Mm -hmm. goes on, finished the memoir. And shortly after that, I received an email from a man Jerry Bass in Oregon, who said he was going to a medical conference in Washington, D.C. Would I be interested in joining him and seeing the sites? And, uh, and, uh, after some serious, quite actually serious thought, I decided yes. And the rest is history. We oh. were married a year and a half. We were married 10 years ago. Mm, wow. So in that period of time, living here, in central Oregon, out in the country. Right now, talking to you, I'm looking out at the mountains. In that time, I made a decision, and I think it was an unconscious or subconscious decision at the time, that I was going to be an author. I was going to stay mm. stay with this because I had stories I wanted to tell. Wow. And I did. I wrote Those We Left Behind, which is about which is about a woman who's a, 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 a humanities professor in a university in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And then I set out to write out of place, and now I'm working on the next one. So my career, in a sense, my years and years, which I loved most of the time, but it seemed to go in a kind of a trajectory because by the time I retired totally, I was writing a lot uh, at the university. I was writing a lot because I was... I was a professor, so I was writing. So it seems as if I went from writing every so often to writing a lot, to writing seriously, Mm -hmm. to becoming an author. Right. So how did you get the first book published then? Was it with um, the same publisher you're with now? Those We Left Behind? Yes. Okay. 
with Luminary Press, yes. Because I started out self-publishing, and once again, serendipitously, I met another author who said, you should go talk to Patricia Marshall in uh, Eugene. And I did, and she has a wonderful publishing company that now has expanded. So I I went the route... (laughs) Don't laugh. I went the route of pitching those we left behind. And I belong yes. to Pacific Northwest Writers. And I mm-hmm. went to the conferences and I pitched and I've got some good feedback. And I got a fair number of rejections, very, pol- very polite rejections. And so it was about that time that I met this other author who had said, why don't you talk to Patricia Marshall? And uh, and then she and then she asked me, "How old are you, Millery?" And I told her. At that time, I was in my probably my mid seventies. Mm. And she she said, she said I'm about the same. Uh, she said, right now, probably the best thing for you and I to do is find somebody like a Patricia Marshall, uh, from the point of view of getting it done getting yeah. it out there. And so I did and I haven't looked back. I'm going to present this new this uh new uh novel to her too. So that that's the route I went. Yes, and it's it's Luminary Press. And if anybody ever asks me about where should I go if they want to to do that kind of publishing, there is where I would send them. Okay. Well, um you mentioned you're working on another book. Can you briefly tell us what it's about? Well, it's right now. The title is Miracles and Secrets. Mm. And it's it's um, basically, can I put it this way? The theme throughout, in a couple of words, is intergenerational trauma. Okay. And what happens in a family in the late 1800s when something traumatic happens in that family, particularly to the, to the woman in that family. What happens? How does that play itself out? How does that play itself out to the next generation? How does it then play itself out to the next generation? So actually it goes from about 1894 to about 1948. And oh, I wow. am, I am calling it, what I'm calling it right now, where I am right now is I'm at the Beginning, beginning of the middle. <laughs> working my, <laughs> working my way towards the middle of the middle. And then already knowing. And this just happened, Allison. This just happened to me probably the other day. Well, I might even say yesterday when I realized one of the places, not the only place, but one of the places that this story is going takes place once again. It, it, uh, it takes place in, um, in Ontario. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, Placing my stories in in places that I know and that I know well. Now, the one of the things is one one of the uh, places where this story is going is to France, to Paris in the nineteen twenties. Then my character is going to go there, and she's going to meet Sylvia Beach, Sylvia Beach, who who opened and ran. Uh, Shakespeare and Company, the bookstore in Paris. Okay. That I, when it, 
whenever I've been to Paris, which is, hasn't been a whole lot of times, but at least three, I head straight for Shakespeare and Company. And Shakespeare and Company mm-hmm. was the place where Ernest Hemingway, uh, Andre Guy, T.S. Eliot, where they mm-hmm. all collected in the 1920s. So, yes. so, but even though it's Paris and even though it's that place, I still know it. For some reason, I, I need to be able to picture my characters in that place that I'm where, in the setting where I'm, where I put them. So that's, um, and that story began with a character. That story began with Margaret Grace, who is the, the character in the, in the 1940s, um, the granddaughter of the, of the, of the first character. And that story actually began with my grandmother uh, when I began looking at her in ancestry.com and realizing what kind of a life she had and what was, ha- what had happened to her throughout her life. She died when I was four. But I have her picture now. My niece sent it to me. I have her picture now on my desk. And she mm. looks out at me every time I sit down to write. Wow. Yes. So that's what I'm working on right now. That's cool. So um, this is a question I ask all my guests. Mm-hmm. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? I think historical history and historical fiction per, per se mm-hmm. shines a light shines a light on where we've come from mm. and i know, i know his history does that shine a light but historical fiction shines a light on the people who lived fictionally during that during that time and how the events affected them Yes. They become not just events. They become something that happened to somebody because of, because of those events. And so you have the pitfalls and the comebacks and the hopes. You have all that emotional quality mixed in with what happened to that person dur- you know, during that event. And so, so my hope then is it then takes the reader there. So for instance, out of place, it takes the reader, historical fiction, and this story takes the reader into the midst of the muddy trenches at Vimy. Right. It takes right. them, puts them on a train platform, waiting for the wounded person to come home, waiting for Anna to come home, waiting for Charlie to come home. It places them on the path to the barn at milking time and Smelling the air of early spring up in, in northern Frontenac. And it, and it, you know, because of the research I was doing on that, on that particular war, I researched newspapers. So I'm able to take the person to the headlines, for instance, of the Toronto Star when that first world war ended. So mm-hmm. I guess the point I'm making, and for me, it's, we then, as the reader, begin to live the pitfalls and the outcomes, as I said before. And, and then it takes us into the possibilities of what could be, knowing what did happen, or now what could be, what's possible. And so then the story, the story places me, the author, and hopefully you, the reader, into that flow. And, and we share the, the, those experiences as, as reader, as reader and writer and author. 
That's what I hope for. That's what I hope yes. for. Yes. Wonderful. Um, Thank you. So, Melry, you have such an interesting story, and this has been a great conversation. Thank you. Um, yeah. What's the best way for listeners to follow you? I think probably I have a website, which is Melry Latimer. <laughs> Melry Latimer. I just stopped for a minute. Dot com. Melry Latimer dot com. <laughs> and I, yes. and I, and they can sign up for a newsletter. They can sign up for, um, for emails there. Yes. Okay. Great. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Melry. Well, Allison, can I say it again? Thank you. I have so oh, appreciated yes. it. I, and once again, it's wonderful to be able to talk about something that's, that comes from someplace within me that, that is so meaningful. So thank you for letting me do that. Yes, thank you. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Marie Latimer. I know this was a longer episode, so I don't want to keep you too long afterward, but I do want to give a shout out to our winner of the 10K Downloads giveaway. It was Bonnie, who has been a member of the Historical Fiction Unpacked podcast group for almost a year. So I'm kind of excited that the winner was someone who has been involved in listening for a while and not just someone who is um, trolling looking for a giveaway. So congratulations, Bonnie. You're going to receive your choice of a novel that's been featured on Historical Fiction Unpacked. And also, of course, the newest edition of my novel, One Traveler, which has a bonus chapter. I'm all about bonuses. I don't know if you've noticed that. So let me leave you, my friends, with a quote. This one is supposedly from Michael Crichton. He said, if you don't know history, then you don't know anything. You are a leaf that doesn't know it is part of a tree. So keep reading historical fiction, my friends, and I will talk to you again next week.